Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my podcast where I reflect and share some thoughts about God and the world and everything in between. Usually these are reflections on my sermons that I preach here at this church. And so uh, today I'm looking at the topic of sadness as it reflects this sermon series that we are doing at my church about emotions and the book of Psalms. Today we are looking at uh, Psalm 88, uh, and so hear these words. O Lord, God of my salvation, when at night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call on you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your saving help in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So I've discovered something the last few months, and I really didn't know this was a thing, but once I discovered it was a thing, uh, I keep seeing and hearing it over and over again, so much so, in fact, now there's now a graffiti art literally right next door to where we worship in Chicago, and it has to do with women, and it has to do with women smiling. Apparently, it's a thing, uh, and I've heard this from numerous women, if they are walking down the street, even if they don't know someone, they may be approached by a stranger. And if the look on their face is in any way downcast or unsmiling, then someone will approach them and say, oh, why don't you smile? Why aren't you smiling? And in fact, this graffiti that I talked about uh, says something in fact like, don't ask women to smile or don't make me smile. I can't remember exactly what it says, but it's interesting that I've been hearing and seeing this over and over again. And it's caused me to think, why is it that people, so many people want women to smile? And I'm not quite sure as to why they feel like they should go up to somebody and tell them that they should smile, but that's another topic. But it's interesting as I reflect on this, what is it that causes somebody discomfort or unease or that stirs something in them that makes them think, I have to go up to this unsmiling woman and tell them to smile. My hunch is that it makes them feel weirdly better. I'm not sure exactly, 
But I thought about that this week as I reflected on this topic that we're talking today about sadness. As I've mentioned in previous weeks, we're doing this sermon series called Inside Out, where we are exploring five core emotions, especially as we read about these emotions in the book of Psalms. And sadness, in my, I have this really big book in my office called The Dictionary of Pastoral Care and Counseling, and it talks about sadness and its relation to depression. And it talks about sadness as primarily an emotional state triggered by the loss of something important to the individual's well-being. That's sadness. And as we see it in the book of Psalms, it's interesting, especially as we look at today and the depths of the sadness that we see here and what it conjures up in all of us when we read it. So another quick word about the Psalms. You can find this really kind of in the middle, slightly to the left of the middle of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. These are prayers, songs that individuals have written over the years when Israelites were in exile, when they were removed from their homes and living in strange lands. And so one of the things about the Psalms that I love so much is how raw they are emotionally. The psalmist does not pull any punches on what he is feeling, and today is no different. Particularly, today is no different. Scholars have noted that uh, there are some things in this psalm that are unique. And one of the scholars that I read this week said that the extent and severity of the complaint in this psalm is notable. There is absolutely no profession, uh, explicit profession of trust or vow to praise. Even in other psalms, when there is anger that we see or other forms of sadness, or Walter Brueggemann is a biblical scholar and he talks about these kinds of psalms as psalms of disorientation. Psalms of disorientation sometimes will have some kind of profession of trust or a vow to praise. And this psalm has absolutely none of that. We don't know exactly why the psalmist is feeling these things. Some scholars have said it could be an illness of some kind. Maybe it's because of their frustration and anger of being in exile and displacement. But whatever it is, the psalmist talks about every approach and that every approach, every time the psalmist tries something, the result is darkness. And that's the very last word of this psalm. We keep going through this psalm a little bit. Verses 10 through 12 are in general in nature, asking God what God is capable of. But then 13 and through 18 are so personal. The psalmist says, talks about his, his cry out to God in the morning. As soon as he wakes up, the prayer comes before God and he asks these questions. Why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Your wrath has swept over me. And again, the very last verse here in the New Revised Standard Version, which is what I read, it says, my companions are in darkness. Another translation, the New International Version says this, that darkness is my closest friend. Here is somebody who is expressing the depths of what he is feeling. And Brueggemann, Walter Brueggemann, who I mentioned earlier, says this about Psalm 88. He says that Psalm 88 is, quote, an embarrassment to conventional faith. And he says this not because the psalmist is wrong. He says this because it's an embarrassment to conventional faith because conventional faith often says and has a happy ending as we live out 
our walk with Jesus, that we think about no matter what, there's got to be a happy ending, and we want to get to that happy ending as quickly as possible. Because we don't quite know what to do with sadness. A theologian named Ben Myers says this, in the Protestant West today, this goes back to this whole smiling thing, in the Protestant West today, smiling has become a moral imperative. The smile is regarded as the objective externalization of a well-ordered life. Sadness is moral failure. Now he's talking about this not just in regular quote-unquote secular society, but he's talking about this in our own faith as Christians in the West today too. I think this is a real indictment. Sadness, that we see sadness as moral failure. And I think that's what Brueggemann is getting at when he says that this is an embarrassment to conventional faith because there is no happy ending at the end of this psalm. The psalmist is talking about the angst, the sadness, the despair that he is feeling. And when we read this, when we may sense that this is an embarrassment to conventional faith, it's because we may just want to go over this psalm or read through this psalm quickly or flip through our Bible. So, well, there's got to be a happy psalm somewhere. We don't want to dwell too quickly in this particular psalm. But I think when we um, jump over it, when we flip through it, when we don't sit with it, we're doing ourselves a huge disservice because sadness, like all these emotions that we're talking about, are, is God-given. And I think we're called to really reflect on it, to be in touch with it, to name it as something that is God-given, and then to ask questions about it and sit with it, all these things about sadness. But it's hard because we don't know what to do with sadness, whether it's our own or somebody else's. This is something that I struggled a lot with. Uh, in my own ministry, when I was a student in seminary, I went through what's called clinical pastoral education, CPE, and often uh, individuals, when they go through CPE, they're, they're placed in a pretty intense ministry context where they are, on the one hand, certainly you're learning how to utilize certain pastoral skills, but more than that, you're also really exploring your own emotional stuff. And so one of the things, when I went through CP, I did it at a hospital in the Chicago area. And at this particular hospital, the chaplain on call overnights, and I had to do about 10 to 12 overnights. So when, you're, when you do an overnight, you have a pager and you spend the night in the hospital. And if there's ever any kind of emergency or if there's a death, it's up to the chaplain to take care of it. So I learned so much on those overnights. But I also learned on the wing that I was responsible for of being with people and dealing with sadness. You can imagine as people are there in their uh, hospital rooms and they're struggling with so many different things. And I wrestled so much with how to respond. Like what's the quote unquote right thing to do? I remember one time in the emergency room or in the waiting room outside the emergency room, there was a man who had come in who had had a heart attack and they brought him in, but the doctors were unable to save him. And so he died. He was part of an Orthodox Jewish family. And I've ne I'd never really experienced the remorse that a family feels before and a family that is willing to fully express that remorse. They were all sitting, it was a fairly large family, and they were all sitting in this room to the side, and they were literally wailing, bemoaning 
audibly bemoaning. And as I stood to the side, it was my job to, in a sense, comfort them. But I felt so out of my element. And my gut reaction was, well, I've got to stop this moaning. I have to help them not feel this pain. And so I walked over there and kind of plopped myself right in the midst of the the moaning and the crying and the wailing. And I didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but I just sensed as I was there, I thought, this is really awkward. This instinct to try to appease them or to limit this sadness that they're feeling is the wrong thing. And in fact, they told me pretty quickly to get out of the room because my presence there was, in a sense, inhibiting them. They wanted to express this unbelievable sadness and remorse. And my presence there and my awkward attempts to try to alleviate were failing. I don't look back on this necessarily and say, oh, what an idiot I was, because I didn't know. I was experimenting. I was trying things out, and both in that room and many other hospital rooms that summer, as I was trying to get a handle of what to do when somebody else is sad. Because it's not easy. Because when someone else is sad, we begin to feel awkward and sad too, and that's not a good feeling to have. And yet it's an important feeling to have. So what do we do? As Christians, I think this is where certainly the example of Jesus is very helpful for us, both on how to express sadness and also how to respond when someone else is sad. I want to take a look at a passage from the book of Matthew. This is near the end of this gospel. And this is a a time and a place when, when Jesus has a sense that his time on earth is ending. When he knows the sacrifice he's about to make is weighing on him. And so this text from Matthew, this is from Matthew 26, verses 36 through 40. And I'm reading it from the Common English Bible. And because I like this translation because it really gets at, uh, in, in plain English, contemporary English, maybe what Jesus was feeling. So here are these words. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, stay here while I go and pray over there. When he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, he began to feel sad and anxious. Then he said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert with me. Then he went a short distance farther and fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. He came back to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Couldn't you stay alert one hour with me? So the three things here I think that Jesus shows us, I want to talk about real quickly, that I think can help us when we think about sadness that that we feel. And I think actually four things. The, The first thing is, and I've been trying to practice this all week, if I have any tinge of feeling blue or down or downcast, I think my knee-jerk reaction for so much part of my life is to is to try to move through that as quickly as possible. And I lash out at God even when I have a day or two of sadness. Like, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't feel this way. I have so many blessings in my life. I've got to get over this sadness. Rather than just saying, this is an emotion. This is something that Jesus felt. Why am I so afraid of feeling it myself? And so in a sense, giving yourself the permission to feel sadness is okay. And I think Jesus shows us this. And, and then Jesus knows the power of not being alone. And certainly there's a time when we are faced with, 
with ourselves and the sadness and we reflect on this by ourselves. But Jesus also knows the power of not going through this alone. The text says that Jesus went with his disciples. And I think this may be one reason why the psalmist is so grieved. In Psalm 88.8, the psalmist says, You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. He's going through this by himself. And one of the things that can make our sadness be exacerbated is that we are all alone. We feel that we're all alone. And this is why for people who, who want to live a life of faith on their own or kind of create their own sense of religiosity, I mean, I guess on the one hand, I can, I can get that, but... I mean, what happens when you're sad? I mean, what happens? This is the thing about church, good church, good communities of faith, is that when you are sad, hopefully you have created a space where you can name how to be sad and that there are others there who can be sad with you. And so if you feel that way, know that you are called in some way to say, it's okay to feel this sadness, and then also it's okay to share this with others. And then this is the next thing that Jesus does is express that vulnerability to have the courage to say, as Jesus says, did you catch this? When Jesus says to his disciples, I'm very sad. And not only that, he says, it's as if I'm dying. I mean, there's that vulnerability, that raw vulnerability that Jesus is showing live and in person. This is not just on some sort of social media outlet. I mean, that's can be a place, and it is a place, I know, we read them every day of people who are expressing their vulnerability on, on Facebook, on social media, and we respond maybe with a, an emoji that shows a sad face with tears. And in some ways, I guess that can be helpful. But to do that with someone in person, the rawness of this, Jesus is giving us, I think, an example to, to be able to say to someone else, I'm sad. It's as if I'm dying. And Jesus does this not only with others, but also to God. He goes a short distance, falls on his face, and says what's on his heart, My Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me. This is all Psalm 88, bringing all of this to God. This, too, Jesus gives us a sense of what we can do. And to just sit with it. It's okay to not get over it right away. It hurts. Sadness doesn't feel good. But it's also the way of our faith. It's the way of the cross. The thing that we have, the the one symbol of our faith is a symbol of pain. It's a symbol of anguish. It's a symbol of sadness. I mean, it's a symbol of victory, too, as we celebrate the resurrection. But if we go too quickly from Good Friday to Easter, we miss out, I think, on times when we can really deepen our relationship with God, knowing that God is, is there in the midst of sadness. Even in moments the psalmist names, the psalmist is wondering, where the heck are you? So Jesus shows us some way, some, there's not, this is not exclusive, these are not the only ways that we uh, are led and shown how to be sad, but Jesus does show us some ways on how to do that. And then, in another part of the Gospels, Jesus shows us how we can respond to others. Perhaps sometimes when you ask somebody what their favorite verse of the Bible is, if they feel a little nervous about answering that, their go-to is John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept because it's only two words. 
But I think there's also some depth to this as well. The New Revised Standard Version says Jesus begins to weep. So there's four words, a little bit easier maybe to, or harder to memorize. But they, people like that, not just because it's short, but it shows Jesus' humanity, which is true. But I think sometimes we forget the context of what this is about and the context of how this verse comes about. So John eleven thirty three says this, there is remorse because a loved one has died. Lazarus has died. And so Jesus, it says Jesus, um, or John eleven thirty three says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And then two verses later, it says, Jesus began to weep. Jesus comes into a situation where there is great sadness, great feelings of loss. And Jesus, now if we know the story, we know that Jesus eventually goes and literally resurrects Lazarus. So here's the happy ending that we like so much. But it doesn't jump from 33 to the story of the resurrection too quickly. Jesus doesn't go to everybody says, oh, there's no need to cry. There's no need to cry. I'm going to do something amazing. Don't cry. Instead, Jesus sees the sadness that's happening here, and Jesus begins to feel it too, so much so that he is crying as well. One of our uh, site pastors at Urban Village this week was sharing with us uh, a, a study, not exactly sure how accurate it is, but a study that says that when we, when we cry out of emotion, that there are literal hormones in these tears that help the healing process. And so Jesus begins this process with them. He sits with them. And I think for us, when we know, I don't know what to do when somebody is sad. I think the one thing that we shouldn't do is to say, well, let's just try to make it better as quickly as possible. I think the best thing we can do is just sit there with them and cry with them if we can, or just say, this is awful. I feel awful for you. I am here with you in the midst of it. So often when someone else is sad, I mean, I think there's a part of them probably would love it if you could just take away the sadness as quickly as possible. But I think there's also something healing when you are just there with them in the midst of it. There's no magic words that you can say. Just sitting there with them, crying with them can be one of the best ways to respond. And that's uncomfortable for us as well. But I think it's our call as followers of Jesus and as people who want to be there for others so that we can be the the presence of Christ in their midst too. So this Sunday at Urban Village uh, in our South Loop site, we're doing a special blues service where we're playing songs that have to do with the blues. And it seems appropriate as we talk about sadness for this particular service, the, the roots of the blues come from forms of African-American slave songs like field hollers and work songs, spirituals. This music captures the suffering and the anguish of 300 years of slavery and tenant farming. And so the blues comes, is birthed out of sadness. So just last night, uh, myself and my wife and another uh, member of Urban Village, we went to hear a blues concert. Uh, There's a, a little... Um, foundation here close to where we live called the Blues Heaven Foundation. And in the summer, every Thursday night, there's an hour of blues, free concerts. So we went to to listen to it. And I, I love listening to the, the guitar and the bass and the lyrics, speaking and singing the blues. And the thing I noticed too was that this particular singer really kind of told stories more so than he sang. So in between each song, he would share stories of 
what it means to sing the blues, but especially harrowing experiences he's had in playing in different bars around Chicago, in a sense, kind of talking about not just sadness, but fear. He's touching on all the emotions. And as I'm sitting there, the audience, I'm thinking, I really enjoy hearing somebody else talk about what it means to have the blues, right? And then what happens later on is that they begin to sing a song and he wants a volunteer from the audience to come up and sing with them. At first, there's this woman who comes up and kind of sings with this singer, uh, but after a while, she's a little too embarrassed to go and sing with him as she goes to sit down. And and so he keeps, the singer keeps saying, who else? There were probably about 25 people there in the audience, and he keeps saying, who else will go up and, and sing? And uh, there, as I was thinking myself, there is no way I'm going to get up there and sing. And this woman turns to me and she starts patting my knee. This woman I'd never seen before. And she starts telling the singer, this guy can sing. And she's like pointing to me. And I'm thinking, looking at the woman thinking, who, who, what are you talking about? There's, I have so much feeling of discomfort of actually going there and, and singing too. But she keeps insisting. And then after a while, others around us keep insisting as well. And I, I'm thinking, how, how is this happening? I have all the different reservations about, uh, you know, I, I think I'm a decent singer. I'm not a great singer of going up there. And what if I don't know the words? Now, I must say that the song they're singing isn't technically a blues song. It's actually, it's kind of a love song. It was My Girl by the Temptations. But still, finally, I was able, I, I went up there and, and started singing, even though I was awkward and I didn't know all the lyrics, but I, I did it. And it, later on, I reflected on this whole notion of sometimes when we go and it's it's better to see somebody else up there rather than us actually having to do it ourselves. I was fine having somebody else sing the blues, even if this wasn't technically a blues song. But for me to do it, no way. I, I'd rather not. Until others finally kind of compelled me. And once I did, later that night, my wife said to me, uh, in a sense, you know, like, I'm really glad to be married to somebody who's willing to go up there. And I was thinking to myself, if you knew how unwilling I was. But I think in a sense, maybe this speaks a little bit to our own unwillingness. Even if we feel comfortable, if we're okay with sitting with someone who is sad, that's the thing I think I would encourage all of us to really think about the times that we own uh, feel sadness ourselves and to ex- let ourselves feel that. To not try to fight the discomfort of it to not flee from it, to not say maybe somebody else should be feeling these things, but to say the words that Jesus said, I'm sad. I feel like I'm dying. For To say the words that the psalmist said, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, that this might be our words as well. But all the while knowing, as this psalmist knows, that As he says in the very beginning of this psalm, O Lord, God of my salvation. Even though the vast majority of this psalm, there are no explicit words that say, I know God has got me in this. I know God is there for me. And yet there is an implicit form of expression because the psalmist starts out by saying, O Lord, God of my salvation. Somewhere in his sad heart, he knows that God is the one who will save him. May we both allow ourselves 
to express the sadness that we feel in our own lives for whatever reason. May we have the courage to sit with others who are sad as well, all the while never forgetting that our God of salvation is with us in the midst of it too. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to the podcast this week. I'm looking at this slightly longer than normal, but I appreciate your hanging in there and listening. Um, as always, if you want to reach out to me, feel free to do so. Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org or on Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. If you are feeling sad and want someone to sit with you in the sadness, reach out to me. I'm happy to, to do that with you. But uh, until next week, friends, as we complete, we'll complete our next our sermon series on Inside Out and Our Emotions as we talk about joy. Until then, may the peace uh, and love of God be with you. Be thou my wisdom and thou my truth.